Does it matter how we pray? Does it matter how we pray? Now, many would tell you that you know, it doesn't really matter so much how you pray. It just matters that you pray. That's what's important. Many pray in a very relaxed and casual way, in the same way that they might chat with a friend over a cup of coffee or a buddy as they're grilling hot dogs in the backyard. Others give great attention to the form of their prayers. You know, often repeating pre-written prayers over and over again. You know, going to certain holy places, carrying with them certain holy trinkets, getting into certain postures and positions. And they place great importance on all of these, these things, if by any means to have God hear them. How should we approach God in prayer? Are we just left to our own thoughts and intuitions here? You know, different strokes for different folks? Well, does God give us direction on how we're to pray? How we're to think about prayer? How we're to approach Him with our requests and our needs, with our thanksgiving and our praise? If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And you'll find that on page... 761 in your pew Bibles. Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount. And here in Matthew 6, Jesus has been giving instruction on our religious life. On what we're to, how we're to think about our religious devotion to God. Our worship doing good deeds, praying, fasting, all of those things. And, and Jesus seems to give special emphasis in the section to prayer because it matters to God how we pray. Last week we thought about the religion of the, the hypocritical and the sincere and those that approach God in order to look good you know, supposedly approaching God, but really just performing a religious performance to be thought of uh, well by others. Versus those who are sincere, who genuinely approach God out of a love for Him and a belief that He is good and a desire to be heard by Him and to praise Him and render Him the honor due His name. And Jesus told us not to pray as the hypocrites pray in order to be seen by others but rather to approach God in sincerity, drawing near to Him because we love Him, because we truly desire to be heard by Him, not to be just seen by others as a praying person. In Matthew 6 and starting in verse 7, Jesus gives some further instruction on prayer. So please follow along as I read. Matthew 6, starting in verse 7. Jesus said, And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now Jesus' teaching on prayer here focuses in three main areas. He wants us to recognize, first of all, who we're praying to, our Father in heaven. He wants us to pray with a loving passion for his glory. That's what we see in verses 9 and 10. And then in the second half of the Lord's Prayer, verses 11 through 13, we see that he wants us to pray with a humble dependence on his grace. And we're going to be mainly focusing this morning on the first half of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to be coming back to those other verses, Lord willing, next Sunday. So this morning we're just going to focus on verses 7 through 10. In a sentence, Jesus' teaching on prayer in these verses could be summarized like this. Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father in heaven with a loving passion for his glory and a humble dependence on his grace. Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father in heaven with a loving passion for his glory and a humble dependence Upon his grace. So those will be our, our two main points this morning. We'll be, we're to pray to our Heavenly Father, to our Father in Heaven. And secondly, we're to pray with a loving passion for his glory. We'll think about the humble dependence on his grace next week. So first of all, point number one, Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father who is in Heaven. Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father who is in Heaven. But what if he's not your heavenly father? It's kind of a a crazy question, some might say. I mean, isn't God everyone's father? Aren't we all God's children? Well, there is a sense in which God has created each and every one of us. He fashioned us with tender care and special attention. Each and every one of us in the womb of our mother. And we've been created and stamped with his own image so that each person has dignity. And as as the book of Acts says, we are all his offspring. So there's a sense in which we are God's children in in that way. But the Bible is is careful to speak of of those who are children of God and those who are not. There's a clear distinction that's held up in Scripture. And so we do well to pay attention to this. Because the Bible teaches that we're not all God's children in the relational sense. We cannot just all come to him naturally and just call him father, just as we are. Something has to happen before we can have the privilege of truly coming to him as our father in heaven. In John chapter 8, Jesus confronted some of the Jews who were hating him and they were seeking to kill him. And, he, and, and yet, they, while they were doing this, they were claiming, you know, we have God as our father. You know, we, you know what are you trying to tell us? God is our father. And Jesus told them, he spoke straightly with them. He said, if God were your father, you would love me. And then he goes on to say, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Like father, like son. That should tell us something. No one is a child of God just by birth. 
I mean, if anyone would be a child of God, just biologically, physically speaking, certainly it would have been the Jews, right? Those, those children of Abraham. But no, no one is born a child of God in the, in the real relational sense. According to Ephesians 2, it says we were all once, you know, before we were saved, or, or we might still be, sons or daughters of disobedience. Not sons of, and daughters of God, but sons and daughters of disobedience. That is our condition apart from Christ, apart from the salvation that he offers. So none of us are naturally the children of God. And the reason for this is because of our sin. Because in our sin, we rebel against God. We reject, we've rejected him, all of us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to our own way. We would not have God as our father in and of ourselves. Sin alienates us from God. We're far from him because, as scripture says, in and of ourselves, we naturally follow the prince of the power of the air, Satan. We may not realize that that's what we're doing, but when we live for ourselves, when we try to set ourselves up as king, doing our own will, we're actually following a very different and much darker father. There's a strong resemblance when we live in our sin and for ourselves to, to that father. When we walk in pride, when we walk in deception, and our lives are shrouded with the, the mists of deceit, and we don't love the truth, when we seek to be honored by others rather than seeking that God would be honored, we resemble a different father than the heavenly father. We resemble our father, the devil. In our sinning, we've joined in Satan's rebellion against God, and God is the only rightful king of the universe. And Jesus says that, that no one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. Now notice what that implies. It implies that we're not near the Father. We have to come to the Father. We're far off, we're distant, we're alienated in and of ourselves. And the only way to draw near to the Father is through Jesus Christ, by being reconciled to him through Jesus. Because Jesus, the true Son of God, the unique and only begotten Son of God, was sent to this earth, and he came willingly. He humbled himself and took on the form of a servant, leaving behind the glories of heaven and the worship of angels to walk our dusty streets, to live among us, to live a perfect life, and then to lay down that life for the unworthy, the undeserving, the sons and daughters of disobedience, people like you and me. And on the cross, he willingly suffered and died, being cut off from his father, suffering the alienation that results from sin. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? That should have been our cry, and that is our cry apart from Christ. And yet he willingly endured that alienation so that we could be brought into his family, so that we would not be forsaken, so that all who trust in Jesus 
repenting of their sins and turning to him would be forgiven, pardoned, reconciled and redeemed and adopted as God's own children, brought into his family and never again to be cast out. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, speaking of Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So through faith in Christ, by believing in him, we are given the right to be children of God and to call God our Father and to approach him as our Father in heaven. So if you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, know that the first thing that you need to do in order to call God your Father and to know his love and his forgiveness is to come to him through Jesus Christ by faith in him. If you have any questions about what that might look like, how to do that, please reach out to me or or to a church member after the service. This is the gospel. This is what we celebrate this morning. If you don't take anything else away from this message, remember that. The only way to have God as your Father is through Jesus Christ and faith in Him. Well, here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is primarily addressing His followers. And so He he assumes that they are those who can call God Father. And this, of course, applies to all of us who have trusted in Christ. And we're to approach Him, we're to approach God and call Him Father. And Jesus contrasts the way His followers are to pray to our Father in Heaven with the way that the Gentiles, those those non-believing pagan nations, the way that they would worship their false gods, the way that they would pray to Apollos or Zeus or whatever other false god that they would pray to. Jesus Uh, talks about the way that they would use empty phrases in verse 7. Or as the New King James translates it, vain repetitions. So they they put a great emphasis on heaping up empty phrases. There wasn't so much a focus on the, the weight and the substance of what was being said as much as just the quantity. Many words, they thought, will be more likely to be heard by God, to get God's attention. As verse 7 says, they think that they will be heard for their many words. So putting an emphasis on repetition and on time spent in prayer, and we can fall into this very easily. I mean, how often when we're praying are we tempted to look at the clock? I know I was this morning. How long have I been praying? I had to catch myself. You know, our words are like 18-wheeler trucks that carry our prayer requests like cargo to the throne of grace. But no need to send an entire fleet of trucks with near-empty trailers to transport a cargo that could have been neatly fit into just two or three. God won't be impressed, more impressed by a prayer that's like a parade of of near-empty 18-wheeler trucks. We may be tempted to use many words because we think that God may be unwilling to help us and that only by long hours of argumentation and and reasoning can we hope to to get him to do what we want him to do. Or we may pray with 
the fearful thought that if we forget to mention something, that God might let that one thing befall us and happen to us. And it's all because we just forgot to mention it. But prayer is not to be thought of as a way to, to twist God's arm into doing things that are, that are good for us. We don't pray to inform God of our needs, to let him know of, of every possible thing that might happen to us so that he can be on guard. As Jesus says here, your father knows what you need before you ask him. He knows. He's your father. So we're to pray recognizing who he is. We're to pray to him recognizing who he is. And so I I recommend the practice whenever possible, just before you start praying, just to pause for a second and just reflect on who it is that you're about to speak with. Our Father, who is in heaven. Fellow believers, we don't need to focus on so much on posture and position. We don't need to bring holy trinkets and symbols to approach God. We don't need to, to come to him with, you know, in an indirect way through saints or icons or images, hoping that maybe they can put a word in for us. But we can approach him directly through Jesus Christ as our Father with childlike trust. But at the same time, let's remember who it is that we're talking to. Not only is he our Father who loves us, but he's also our Father who's in heaven, who is exalted, who is enthroned in glory, who dwells in unapproachable light, who holds the stars in his hands, and who has the power to bring us into heaven or to cast us into hell. This God is the one that we're praying to. We should approach him with reverence and awe and respect as the high king of heaven. So Christian, always bear these two things in mind when you pray. That we're praying... To, to God, and that God in heaven is our Father, and that our Father in heaven, or and that our Father is the God who is in heaven. Now the text says in verse eight that your Father has knows what you need before you ask Him, and as John Stott has said, he neither he's neither hesitant so that we need to persuade him, or ignorant so that we need to instruct him. He's our Father a father who loves his children and knows all about their needs. And he sends many a blessing unasked, unsought, unseen, and unthanked. And as we, as we consider that, we might wonder, well, what's the purpose of praying? If God already knows what we need, and he's, he's taking care of us, why pray? Well, Scripture shows us that though God doesn't need our prayers... Though he doesn't need them in order to do his work, he's not like a, you know, a, a restless you know, employee sitting in the break room waiting for orders before he knows what to do. God knows what we need. He doesn't need our prayers, but we need them. And he commands us to ask in his name. And, and he may even allow us to do without for a while until we ask. What does James say? You have not because you ask not. Jesus calls us to ask, to seek, and to knock at the door of heaven. 
and then he will open up and hear us. In prayer, we bring our fears and our anxieties to our Father in heaven and receive his comfort. In prayer, we remind ourselves of his promises and our faith is strengthened and sustained. I mean, we're called in, in Philippians, don't be anxious, but pray. Let your requests be made known to God. And though God doesn't need our prayers, strictly speaking, they are his appointed instruments, his means to accomplish his purposes in this world and in our lives. God chooses to work through our prayers, through the prayers of his people, and not without them. So let us ask, let us seek, let us knock. That's why, for example, we should pray for revival, not just expect, you know, God's just going to do what he's going to do. But no, we also pray. We go out and we preach the gospel to the lost. What great things might God do if we will ask him in faith? Well, Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father who is in heaven, that's point number one. And secondly, Jesus teaches us to pray with a loving passion for his glory. Jesus teaches us to pray with a loving passion for God's glory. What that means is that we love God so much that we have an all-consuming desire that he would be seen as good and glorious, that he would receive the honor due his name, and that that's what's most important to us even when we pray, that's the first thing on our minds. God, may you be honored. That's what we see in the first half of the Lord's Prayer. Before there's ever a, a request for our daily bread, time is spent asking that God's name be hallowed, that his kingdom come, that his will be done. God's priorities become our priorities. And his chief concerns our chief concerns. So we pray, hallowed be your name. And that's just a way of expressing the desire that God would be reverenced and treated as holy. You know, in this fallen world, people disrespect God. They treat him as common. One sign of this is that God's name is even used by many as a curse word. The one who truly loves God will desire that God himself be honored as he deserves. And so we pray for that, that men and women would recognize God for who he is and that they would worship and reverence him. And so that's, that's the first request in this prayer. God, may you be honored. Bring honor to your name. Hallowed be your name. Is this, is this your chief concern when you pray? Is this the first thing on your mind? God, more than anything else, I want your name to be honored in this world and in my life. Then we see that we're also to pray that God's kingdom would come. Now what does that mean? Your kingdom come. Well, God's kingdom means God's kingly reign. It's his dominion. It's not necessarily a, a place with, with geographical borders, but it's the realm of his authority and dominion. And those who submit to him as their Savior and as their Lord, Jesus taught, are thereby brought into the kingdom of God. They're in his kingdom. They're under his reign. They're recognizing him as their Savior and as their Lord. 
as it says in Colossians 1, that as Christians, God the Father has, quote, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. It's only under Christ's loving reign that joy and peace and security can ever be found. But there's another kingdom in this world, the kingdom that each one of us once belonged to, that domain of darkness, the kingdom of the prince of the power of the air. And even as the kingdom of God has has broken into this world, as Jesus, when he came, he taught, the kingdom of God is among you, it's here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Even as the kingdom of God has, has broken in, and it, and it exists wherever there are people who submit to Christ's lordship. Yet we live in a world where there are many who are still in rebellion against the high king of heaven, who have not been brought into his kingdom. And so we live as those that are surrounded by the kingdom of darkness. And on every hand, we see the, the evidence of that. People hating God, people forgetting God, people hurting one another and living in sin. And so we pray, God, your kingdom come. We want his kingdom to come in all of its fullness, in all of its consummation, as it will be one day when Christ returns and when Satan is finally cast into hell and all evil is judged and it is on earth as it is in heaven. That's the day that we long for. That's our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we pray, your kingdom come. And really, this is, this is a missionary prayer. This is a prayer that others would come to worship God and to submit to his reign as their Savior and as their Lord. And so we pray for the advance of the gospel, as we did this morning, that God's kingdom would advance in Germany and France and Sweden, that his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But we also pray that God's will would be done. Your will be done. And when we pray this, we're submitting ourselves afresh to God in faith. This is the posture of the true believer in Christ, praying, not my will, but thine be done. I surrender all to you. That's the the heart cry of every true believer. You know, as Philippians 4 says, we should not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so it's okay, it's, it's good. We're called to pray and to bring our requests to God. You know, if we, if we want to be married, to pray for a godly spouse, that's a good thing. If we're afraid because of sickness, to take that, that anxiety to the Lord and pray about our health and even ask him for healing from cancer or COVID or whatever it might be. To pray for a loved one, for, for their safety. These are good things, and we should let our requests be made known to God. But in all of this, we never make demands of God. We never give him orders and shout orders at him as if he was like our, our servant or our slave or our genie. But we always come to him humbly, recognizing that he is God, and we are man. He is Lord, and we are his subjects. 
And so at the end of the day, we, we bring our requests and we submit them to him and we say, Lord, here's what I ask. And yet, not my will, but thine be done. You know, we all have plans, we all have desires. But God also has plans. And part of what it means to trust in Jesus, we trust that his plans are better than ours. We trust him wherever he leads us. And we trust that his will is good, it's holy, it's perfect. So even as we request things, we always, we always you know, qualify that by saying, your will be done. And that's the way that Jesus prayed, even in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed to the Father, let this cup pass from me, if it is possible. Yet not my will, but yours be done. That's what submission to God looks like. Submission in faith, trusting in him. And so can you say that? Can you surrender even your greatest desires to the Lord? And say, Lord, I want this more than anything, and yet I trust you more. Not my will, but yours be done. Though some aspects of God's purposes and will have not been revealed to us, God has told us what we need to know about his will. He has revealed that to us. You know, what we need for life and godliness has been given to us. As 2 Peter 1 says, through the knowledge of him. As, as uh, 2 Timothy talks about, you know, the sufficiency of scripture. All, all scripture is God-breathed, and it's, it's given for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So believer, if we want to know the will of God for our lives, if we want to see God's will done on earth, including in our own lives, as it is in heaven, let this drive us to the scriptures to read and to study and to know God's will for us. And we come across texts like these, like 1 Thessalonians 4.3, which says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Or 1 Peter 2.15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So if we come across a, a, a text like this, our prayer should be, God, do this in my life. Your will be done in this area where you're revealing the specifics of your will for me. Do this in my life. You could pray something like this. You know, God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And on that note, you know, help me to do good. As it says in 1 Peter 2.15, loving my neighbor, honoring the authorities, living a peaceable life, doing so much good that the, that the, the mockery and the blasphemy against you by those who speak foolishly against you may be put to silence. That, furthermore, that, that I would have such honorable conduct among non-Christians that as 1 Peter 2 says, when they speak against me as an evildoer, they may see our good deeds and glorify you. That's, that's what it can look like to pray, your will be done. We don't just have to stick to, the, to that, you know, those single words there in the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is more of a pattern by which we can model our prayers. 
And so we can pray for things like this with the Lord's Prayer as our guide and our pattern. And as we come to better understand the specifics of God's will for us as his children, you know, our response should be to pray for it in our lives and in the lives of others. And then by his strength to get up off of our knees and to pursue his will for our life in the strength that he, that he provides. In faith that he will help us to do his will. It may reveal that our desire that God's will should be done that that desire is weak when we're not really seeking to understand his will for us. When we're neglecting the study of our Bibles, neglecting to know what God would require of us, how he would have us to live as his children in this world. Dusty Bibles mean that the wellspring of our love for God is running dry. It's good to ask ourselves, What is it that concerns me most? What is it that concerns me most? Is it my bank account? My physical health? The safety of those I love? Or are my greatest concerns, the the sins that I see in my life, those areas of my life that are out of step with the will of God? Is it the fact that all around me, there are people who do not regard the name of God as holy, that do not reverence him and worship him, that are still under the domain of darkness. May God help us, may he help our priorities to line up with his and have a sincere passion for his glory above even our own desires. You know, as we think about those questions, as we ask ourselves those questions, What is it that concerns me most? That that tells us a lot about what we value most, what's most important to us. It tells us a lot about the condition of of our souls. Friends, in our prayers, may we have a genuine expression of, you know, putting God's priorities first, having a genuine passion for his glory, first and foremost. May that be reflected in the way we pray. May we pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. By God's grace, may God help our faith and our love to increase so that his priorities increasingly become ours. May we be people that are consumed with a loving passion for the glory of God. May that be increasingly evident in the way we pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are worthy. Lord, our our best thoughts of you, our highest praise of you, Lord, is is unworthy of, of your true worth. Lord God, we, we confess that so often our, our prayers tend to be selfish. We we come before you praying, not your will, but ours be done. Lord, help us, each one of us, to humbly submit to you, to trust that your ways are better than ours, your plans are better than ours, so that we can sincerely pray, not my will, but thine be done. It's for your glory 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.